How do retailers become more human in an increasingly technological world? And why is that important today more than ever? Listen in to hear why the human touch still matters to your customer. Welcome to Tell Me Something Good About Retail, the podcast of The Retail Doctor, and I'm your host, Bob Fibbs. In this episode, I'm talking to Richard Shapiro, founder and president of the Center for Client Retention, about his process for guaranteeing repeat business. Why retail? Let's start there. Sure. Well, you know, I was very fortunate that I grew up in retail. My dad owned a a small uh, men's clothing store in northern New Jersey, and starting at age, age eight, I worked there every Saturday and every, you know, holiday like Christmas and Father's Day. So, uh, you know, retail has always been very exciting to me. I did end up working for a startup at the time called ADP. Many of the lessons that I learned at ADP, which are all about, you know, customer retention and increasing uh, market share from your existing customers, are certainly very applicable to also increasing, you know, wallet share from your consumers. And uh, in the last five or six years, I've written two retail books. Now I teach at a retail course at the Fashion Institute of Technology in New York. And I'm a retail consultant and also issue, you know, retail trends. So uh, I'm back to retail after uh, a short, uh, probably 30-year uh, gap in my career. But I, I just love it. And I, and I think it's a great spot to be in. So let's go back. You started off with your dad's men's store. And so... Um, Starting at eight, uh, I would hope you weren't waiting on gentlemen trying to buy a suit. But um, what was it that you think you, you learned at that time by watching how your dad did business there in your New Jersey store? In, uh... Right, uh, Bob, that's an excellent question. Well, number one, yes, I wasn't actually a salesperson at the time. I was the cashier. And the beauty of that is the cash register uh, was centered in the middle of the store so I could view every interaction that my dad had with customers. And and three important lessons that I learned is, number one, you know, my father viewed all customers as people first, customers second. You know, let me repeat that. He viewed all customers as people. We're all people, whether it's your neighbors, your kids, uh, your parents, uh, your students, we're all people first. The second lesson I learned that uh, my father welcomed everybody into the store, just like he'd welcome them into our home. You know, to my dad, the store was just an extension of our home, another place to make people feel welcome. And the last thing I learned, which is really tied into my business today, is my father taught me the importance of and how to create an emotional bond with each customer, you know, from day one. And today in retailing, it doesn't matter whether it's a brick and mortar store or an e-commerce site. It's important in both of those channels to make sure that you think of ways of creating a relationship and maintaining that relationship. Well, I think that's really true. And, you know, I, I was fortunate. I started in retail, well, not as young as you, but I put myself through uh, college selling shoes. And my very first job, I was probably like, I don't know, 16 or 17. And I learned from the old ladies, the blue hairs. And, you know, they had been, my training was two weeks before I ever got on the floor and they made this big point that the customer is the most important person and everything stops when they walk in the door. And so I think both of us have that, uh, that was modeled for us, but let's face it, retail in 2020, I don't think you would see that out there even modeled, would you? So, so how do we start to kind of get that idea that it's about somebody else other than your phone first? 
You know, that, you know that, that's a good point. I, I think, um, listen, I, I developed in my second book, which is The Endangered Customer, Eight Steps to Guarantee Repeat Business. You know, I did develop this eight-step process, which are all tied into human emotions. And, uh, you know, the reason why it's important to think of us all as people are that even though there's eight steps, they kind of fall into, uh, you know, three basic, you know, emotional components of hope, trust, and intimacy. And pretty much, you know, no one walks into a retail store or clicks on a, on a website unless they're hoping something can happen. And, you know, it's so important that that first interaction, whether it's on an e-commerce site or it's on a telephone or it's a face-to-face walk-in, that you deliver that hope, or at least you give the customer the, uh, the hope that you're going to be able to, you know, help them, because that's what customer service and retailing is all about helping the customer find what they're really looking for. Well, and to build on that, um, when you don't do that, right, you extinguish the help, the hope. And I think that's what a lot of people don't realize about websites. A friend of mine was telling a story about how she went on Target's website just to find oil of Olay, like her grandmother used to. There were three pages, Rich, and she got so um, bogged down in it, she just clicked out. And to that point, she just lost hope, right, to be able to make this a simple decision. Right, right. So uh, before I get to the other two, I, I just want to, you know, relay something uh, to you that I think is very, you know, appropriate. And I talk about this in my class a lot. Uh, you know, unfortunately, my wife and I both lost our spouses in about 2009, 2010. And, uh, but we're very fortunate to, to uh, uh, meet each other on Match.com, which is a dating site. And I often tell my students and clients that, when companies think of creating their website, they really should do it as if it was kind of a dating site. In other words, certainly you would never uh, connect with a person unless you saw their picture, unless you knew something about their background. So it's so important to think of any e-commerce site as getting the customer to want to engage with you before they ever want to buy with you. You know, in retail brick and mortar, you'd never have a sign on, or I don't think you'd ever have a sign on the outside of your door saying, don't come in if you're not ready to buy. But that's, that's basically what you're telling e-commerce uh, uh, you know, visitors to your site when you don't have a telephone number, when you don't have a contact us, when you don't have a live chat agent, you're basically telling the customer, don't do business with this if you're not ready to buy right now. Well, and you haven't evolved, right? That might have been fine 20 years ago when your website was a little more than a brochure we put up online, but table stakes is being available and uh, making it easy, right? No, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I was at a retailer uh, in Miami. We spend part of our time in Miami or Fort Lauderdale area and part in New York. And uh, So uh, I went to a manufacturer that's uh, doing very, very well. Uh, it's anatomy. It's uh, they make um, uh, they're they're in the actually in the travel light business where they make these uh, garments for women that that and my wife now that she is familiar with the firm loves it uh, that are all coordinated that uh, you know wash in like you know you can wash them yourself and they dry in five minutes and they never wrinkle and. Uh, when I spoke to the owner, Kate, and I'm sure she'd be happy to share the story, she did have a telephone number. They are extremely service-oriented. They have the best customer service. But they have a telephone number on the site, which was the first step. And I said, well, 
why is that telephone number on the site? And she looked at me like, well, what do you mean? It's for people to call. And I says, well, I said, it doesn't really tell the people to call. I said, if somebody sees an 800 number and they think the only reason they'd be calling that 800 number is to buy something, then you're discouraging prospects. So mm, change the uh, terminology to say, please call us with questions. And actually, please call. I think it was Patty or Ro- Rochelle, uh, because that's who normally answers the phone. So make it personalized and encourage customers or prospects to call, even if you're, even if they're not actually ready to buy at the time. Well, but to build on that, that you're thinking like a customer, like just putting the the number up there wasn't enough. It's being able to say call four to make it easy. And I guess that also fits into your idea of hope. What was your second part of after we've got the idea of hope when we're interacting with people, whether online or uh, in a brick and mortar store? Sure. And and just uh, one other thing tied into that hope is I always tell uh, retailers that no matter what somebody is asking for, whether it's over the phone or, or brick and mortar, always say, I can help you with that. The I happens to be one of the strongest words in the English language, that, that shortest words and, and, and most impactful. So by saying I, that, that gives the customer hope. Now, the, the hope might be or the, the, or the person might have to refer them to their boss or even refer them to a competitor. But when someone says, I can help you with that, it fulfills that hope. The second one is trust. So once that person starts talking about their background and their knowledge and shows you maybe stock, you know, you start to build trust that that person can help you. And maybe that person can help you on the transaction. But the last part is the intimacy. In other words, how do you, how do you show the customer that you care about them after the transaction is over? And a lot of retailers fail in that, you know, sending somebody uh, junk emails every day, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call them junk with specials and promotions that doesn't show the customer that you really care about them. So it's hope, trust, and intimacy. And intimacy, uh, you know, if you use a good CRM platform and you train your people well and you give them time to communicate with customers after the sale, it's definitely going to help increase a percentage of repeat business. Well, and ultimately, you're building on that trust and then saying you're not just a transaction, right? Your relationship, so I'm going to treat you differently than, oh, great, Rich, you bought those uh, garden gloves. I'm going to make this offer just for you, 30% off uh, power tools, along with 3 million other people, isn't going to resonate as much as somebody who knew that you had a project, let's say, and was able to just say, thanks for your business and uh, let us see the garden in the spring. It could be as simple as that. I think that's what, what we've, we've, I think we've made it it's so hard these days to realize that just even a personal text from someone that just says it was great to meet you and uh, I look forward to hearing your results is enough because you've used that I word again, right? I mean, it's, it's simple, isn't it? It doesn't have to be really complex. No, no, it's not. And, and to your point too, you know, and I know they changed it, but in 2015, you know, my wife and I had never gone on the Saks Fifth Avenue site. We were looking for, you know, a wedding gift, uh, which we had, you know, wrapped by Saxon. I knew it was a wedding gift, and we bought these beautiful uh, George Jensen, Jensen candlesticks. And every day, I'm not exaggerating, every day for four years, Saks Fifth Avenue would be sending us, or sending me, and it was under my name, you know, ads and emails for skirts and, and, and shoes <laughs> and dresses and blouses. It was only, I would say, about three or four months ago that all of a sudden somebody, I guess, woke up 
and started sending us specific emails about George Jensen items. So, but why did it take them four years plus, you know, to figure it out? It just doesn't make sense. So when you target it and 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 make it very special to whatever the tailored to whatever this this the sale was, that also shows the customer that you care, and it's a good indication and a good way to to get that customer back in that category. Yeah. Now you're also an educator, so you're there at FIT in New York, and um, shaping the minds of the new uh, retailers of the world. Is it? Is there a disconnect between people in uh, who are learning about retail in general and uh, people who are actually in retail right now, meaning the boutique owners that are already there? Is there a difference in the two mindsets, do you think? And is, is there a way to bridge that? Or is it, is it fine to be two different types of people? Uh, well, I happen to be teaching a continuing education course. So... Uh, the students are like 25 to 35. So, you know, it's a mixture in the class. Uh, most of the students buy things online, I would say, except a lot of them go to places like Sephora, or they go to Zara. Uh, you know, but when I look down at, at the floor and they're wearing all sneakers, my next question is, well, where did you buy those sneakers? Did you buy them online or did you buy them at a brick and mortar store? And every single one will always tell me that they buy them in a brick and mortar store. So I think if you have the right kind of product, uh, whether you're a millennial or uh, a baby boomer or whatever it is, you're still going to go into the store probably at some point. And the whole point of you know trying to build an emotional connection is, is to uh, connect with that customer so they come back. You know, my uh, in my book, everybody is a real person; they're all real stories. Uh, but the only name that I wasn't able to use was my wife's daughter. Uh, I won't say it now. Actually, I'll say it anyway. Christy. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Christy was, uh, is a corporate attorney and she had a baby and she was buying everything online. And of course, my wife was the one who was returning the things to J. Crew and mm. Gap and everything else. But then she had a baby and she was going back into the corporate world or the, to be an attorney and she needed new outfits. And she walked by this boutique on the Upper East Side, you know, just a, you know, mid, mid, mid-level store. And th- as soon as she walked in, she happened to have the baby with her in a stroller. And, and the woman said, oh, you know, look around. I can hold the baby, you know. And, you know, two hours later, she'd bought 10 outfits and she kept all 10. Uh, so I think no matter what the age is, if, if you have an opportunity, if you get that golden gift of somebody actually walking to your store, then you need the right people to help create that relationship. And certainly I am totally against the Amazon go store, you know, uh, go, you know, cashless store. I think that's a big mistake. Even a, even a cashier can make a tremendous difference in trying to build the relationship. So, yeah, that is a great story because um, I maintain anyone that walks into your store is invested (laughs) people aren't walking into stores randomly anymore. <laughs> you know, the lookers are all online, right? We look online, we decide if that's what we're going to do. I want to get this one thing. It's a certain microphone, it's a certain speaker, whatever. So I'm educated as I go out. But anyone that walks in a store these days and doesn't convert, I always say it's your fault. Would you agree with that? No, absolutely. And and it's uh, I know that you're focused on stories. And one of the key uh, learnings that I teach my students are you have to uncover the story behind the purchase. 
and I did a panel discussion for the accessory council and, uh, or, and uh, I did one for actually accessory council, but I also did one for accessory magazine and Lauren Parker was the editor and I was doing a panel for her at the Javits center. And she was mostly asking me questions about my book. And she said, you know what, Richard, and she told the audience, you were a hundred percent right. I was going to go on a photo shoot and I needed a new outfit. So I went to a store and I picked out what I thought was the perfect outfit and the gentleman said, well, you know, why are you buying this outfit? You know, he was uncovering the story. And she said, well, I'm going on a photo shoot. And he said, well, this outfit is not going to look good on a photo shoot. And she said, if he hadn't asked me that question, I would have bought the wrong thing. And it would have been a big mistake. See, I think that's, to me, I just interrupt just for a second. That is the key between a great salesperson and someone who does the job. Because a great salesperson realizes that I have to challenge the customer at this point, right? And that's that's a gift to to the buyer because to your point, you go on a photo shoot and it looks bad. Um, if you don't know that ahead of time, there's no backup story, right? She couldn't just say like, oh, well, I also have this outfit. <laughs> no, no, absolutely. So, and it's it's not that hard. Of course, you know, it, it boils down not only having enough people in the store, but uh, in my first book, The Welcomer Edge, I categorized everybody into four categories, welcomers, robots, uh, indifference, and hostile. And of course, the welcomers were people like my dad who saw the customer as a person first. And welcomers, when I interviewed them to find out why they were so good at, at selling, they all had a history, number one, of helping people. They were tutors, they were nurses, they were teachers, you know, maybe their family worked in, in soup kitchens. And the other thing is they all had a sense of curiosity. If you don't have a good sense of curiosity to know why, you know, what, what's the story or why they're buying something or uh, talking about their baby or their dog or what kind of shirt they have on if they're a young person, you know, sports star or something, I think you're missing, you know, big point. And if you can hire people who are welcomers, they're naturally going to engage and create great relationships with their customers. I, I couldn't agree more with that, but um, because you've now twe- tweaked uh, my interest here, um, I'd love to hear about the hostels. Sure. Uh, I mean, well, indifferent is one side, but I like the uh, that you actually put it because I, there, I think there are people, let's call the spade a spade. There are people that are hostile to because they don't like working in retail. They don't like people. And yet people put them on the floor or worse, they've been there for 20 years because well, she'll show up every day at 10. It's like, that's not a good thing. No, you, <clears throat> Bob, you know, you're right. There's two parts to that question. Number one, I always say, well, hostiles not, not only are nasty to customers, they're also nasty to their coworkers. That's number one, because they're just point. mean and nasty people. Uh, and, and the second thing, I will sometimes or more often get the question from students, well, can a hostile be turned into a welcomer? And the answer is no. Uh, but the corollary to that is that sometimes welcomers can be turned into uh, indifference or I wouldn't say hostiles, but I've seen so many cases where someone starts off in a retailer and they are definitely a welcomer and they like to engage and they have a terrible boss who's disrespectful for them and talks down to them and doesn't appreciate uh, all the things that they do. And that welcomer can turn into certainly an indifferent. Uh, they wouldn't turn into a hostile, but you know, it's so that that's a shame. And that, that's a big part of retail too. You need someone who's really going to motivate and bring your people up, not bring your people down. Well, that brings me to a, a point I always say is people don't quit businesses. They quit managers No, right? I, because the feeling that they have to work with um, 
really does tend, you know, if you don't make the employee's day, I don't think you're going to make the customer's day, right? I mean, that's simple. No, absolutely. And I'll tell you, when I was writing my first book, I tried to interview as many uh, welcomers and their bosses as possible. And there was this one welcomer, it was uh, at Equinox Gym, where I went at like at 5.30 every morning. And this woman was amazing. I mean, at 5.30 in the morning, she'd give you the biggest smile. She would, you know, if you did, if you missed a day, she'd find out why. And uh, I, I finally got a chance to speak to her boss and her boss basically, you know, he dissed me. He, he, he didn't really want to talk to me. And then two days later I walk in and she's there, but there's someone else that's also there. And she said to me, you know what? They just changed my hours from full-time to part-time. I said, what? And not only was the person who was going to replace her, uh, just a different person. He, he was like a security guard. So while it was, if it was raining out, you know, at 25 after five, she'd let everybody in, but this guy actually was looking at his watch until five 30. Uh, it was pouring that. or cold out and he wouldn't let anybody in before. So, uh, I, unfortunately there's a lot of stories like that, but there's also a lot of good stories as well. Yeah. Good. This season is sponsored by springboard retail POS. You know, one of the biggest challenges I hear from listeners, and whether they're selling from a store, from trunk shows, pop-ups, or just online, is that they want great, easy-to-use data. On top of that, they want customizable reporting. Well, that's where Springboard Retail comes in. Their best-in-class reporting helps you run a best-in-class retail operation. Higher sales, higher margins, and faster sell-through. Springboard Retail's customer success team will help you get all of your historical data into Springboard and get you up and running in a flash with a one-on-one personalized onboarding experience that's run by actual humans. And now it's even easier for you listeners to supercharge your business with Springboard Retail POS. Just visit springboardretail.com forward slash retail doc and you'll receive 20% off your first year. Now back to the show. So do you have any advice for retail owners, like three of your top tips that we obviously want you to, them to read your new book, but what would be three things that you think um, somebody could actually drop everything, write down three things and actually put into practice this week to uh, have a better operation? Just don't say no. Uh, no, which happens to be a two-letter word, uh, is the biggest killer of loyalty. Uh, you know, people get very frustrated when they hear no. And no matter how long someone has been a customer, when you say no, you're basically telling them that they don't want to do business with them. And no is uh, not getting back to them, uh, saying we can't do this or it's our policy or things like that. You know, good retailers and good businesses always figure out a way to say yes. And, and most of the time you can say yes. And the other thing that I would say to that before I go on to the other two real quickly is, if you have to have to say no, never say no on the spot. Say, let me get back to you. Let me check because uh, people appreciate that too. The other thing is I was on a panel with Cameron, Cameron uh, Silver who wrote a book, Decades, and he opened his first store in Rodeo Drive uh, for selling vintage clothes. And his closing remark was uh, write, use handwritten notes. There's no substitute for, for a handwritten note. The last thing is, I would say getting back to the to the website because so many people do have uh, you know websites that are not friendly. 
Uh, I love to have pictures of people on websites. I love to have the contact. I love to have it on the right. I never, ever want the customers to search, you know, for a telephone number or a contact us page at the bottom of the site. It just doesn't make sense. Um, so I would say, you know, make your, uh, uh, don't make it difficult to speak to a, to a customer either, uh, you know, in a brick and mortar store by having an answering machine or on an e-commerce site and don't say no to customers and for the, especially for your best customers or new customers or major purchases, write that handwritten note. Well, see, that's great because I think an awful lot of people think there is some shiny object out there that makes a difference. And quite simply, it is going to be being brilliant on the basics, which while people may get older or they might be younger, ultimately, if it's not more human in an increasingly technological world, I think they're going to miss the boat. So that brings me to the end with my final question, my friend, and tell me something good about retail. Uh, I think there's a lot of opportunities for retail because if you look at all these malls and everything, for, for specialty retailers who really know how to serve the customer and, and, um, and hire the right people and give them the tools, you know, I, I think retail is, you know, can, can, going to continue to survive, you know, but I think whether it's a big company or a small company, I always tell them, think small. You know, if you're a huge corporation, break things into teams and, 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 and make sure your people, if they can't get a hold of one specific person, they're just speaking to another four or five that know each other. So work in a team, keep it small. Uh, you know, don't think of yourself as a large corporation. Think of yourself just like my dad, where it's, you know, one store and you have customers coming back all the time. Perfect. Well, how do we find out more about your company, Rich? Sure. Well, the company is the Center for Climate Retention, and my website, you know, is the same letters. It's TCFCR. But I'm also under, you know, on LinkedIn, I write a lot of blogs. I issue trends under Richard R. You know, Shapiro on LinkedIn. It's pretty easy. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us today, Richard, and I look forward to hearing more of your insights and reading those on LinkedIn and your new book. Thank you very much, Bob. I appreciate Thanks. the opportunity. Thanks again to my guest, Richard Shapiro. I enjoyed speaking about the number one killer of customer loyalty and how to avoid using it. On next week's episode, I'll be speaking with Derek O'Carroll, CEO of Bright Pearl, about creating a great retail culture. You won't want to miss it. I'm Bob Fibbs, the Retail Doctor. Thanks for listening. Tell me something good about retail is the podcast of the Retail Doctor. Visit RetailDoc.com to learn what makes Bob Fibbs the authority on brick-and-mortar retail across the world, who works with some of the biggest brands all the way down to the smallest mom and pops. As a listener of the Tell Me Something Good About Retail podcast, you can receive free information and guides when you visit RetailDoc.com and sign up for our exclusive weekly newsletter. For more information, to access the complete archives of past retail goodness, and to see about Bob speaking to your audience, please visit RetailDoc.com.